How are you doing there? Just a quickie before we start. On the Apple podcast, why don't you double click on David McWilliams Plus? It's right there when you open the podcast. You get ad free, you unlock early access. Just double click and away you go. David McWilliams Plus, you get this pure and Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Simple. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Hi there. Welcome to the podcast. Mac is off on a well-earned break after a brilliant Kilconomics weekend last weekend. Actually, he never takes a break and he's off in America doing other stuff, which I'm sure we'll hear all about next week on the podcast. Anyway, as I said, Kilconomics was fantastic and it was full of a who's who of economists and big thinkers from around the world many of who have been guests on the podcast. So as a special treat, we want to bring you one of the many great sessions from the festival. Max sat down with the fantastic Yanis Varoufakis to discuss a whole range of topics. But as they chatted for well over an hour, here's a slightly edited version of their chat, where they cover all sorts of things, including Yanis's theory of tech feudalism, the EU, the ECB and the UK. All sorts of stuff. It's really, really good. I love this. And I hope you do too. Enjoy. Yanis, how are you? I want to talk to you about your new book, which is out in April, I think it is. It's going to be on the, and, and I think it's a fascinating title and it's a fascinating idea called Techno Feudalism. Now, explain that to us. What is the book about? What has inspired you? What's the history of it? What is Techno Feudalism? Look, in 2008, which was a year that marked you just yes. as much as it marked me and the whole world, Ireland, Greece, the whole thing. In, since 2008, I've been thinking, I've been feeling that the world was transformed in the same way that after 1929, nothing resembled the world before 1929. I felt something was happening around there. And over the years... This idea has crept up on me that um, in the same way that in 1991, the left was defeated spectacularly and we never recovered. As a, I'm speaking as a leftist. Uh, communism, socialism, social democracy, gone, kaput. We have not managed to recover. We had moments. Yeah. <laughs> but the defeat has been endless. And you just, just so you think that the, the, the end of the Soviet Union was the end of that ism? Uh, it was not the end of the left, but it was the end of 
the ideas that the left had up until then, all of them, from you know, central planning, Gosplan style, Soviet planning, to social democracy, um, social democracy never recovered, even though social democracy had turned against the Soviet Union and against the communists. Yeah. Social democracy was um, in terminal and remains in terminal decline. Uh, but maybe that's my way of dealing with my permanent defeat. I started thinking that 2008 was a year when capitalism got its comeuppance. And so to answer your question yeah. in brief, for me, techno-feudalism is what capitalism has morphed into. Okay. Now, that is a very big claim it to is. say that this is not capitalism anymore, because wherever we look at, we see capital triumphing. So this is my contradictory hypothesis, that because of a magnificent triumph of capital mm -hmm. and a new form of capital, which I call cloud capital, I'll explain this in a minute, capitalism is dead at the hands of capital. And what we now have is something that resembles feudalism a lot more than it resembles capitalism. And because it's algorithmic, digital, cloud-based, I call it techno-feudalism, just to yeah, no, complete keep, the keep story. Going, keep going. Capitalism has had many, many different var variants because, you know, my critics, I've presented this techno-feudalism thesis. I'm writing it up as a book now, but I've presented it a number of times to different audiences. So, by the way, the ones who actually loathe my thesis come from the left. Always. 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 But you know why? I understand it. It's completely psychological. Um, because they think, they, you know, we leftists feel that we came to this earth in order to replace capitalism. From Mars. To overthrow capitalism and to replace it. But if this is what we are experiencing now is not capitalism, why is it not socialism? What are you saying? That capitalism will overthrow itself without our help? Yes, that's what I'm saying. The left doesn't like that. That, you know, the realization that we are useless. Capital overthrew capitalism, not labor. Um, anyway, close the yeah. bracket there. Now, if you look at post-war capitalism, the Bretton, Wood, yeah. the Bretton Woods era, that capitalism had nothing to do with the capitalism of the 1920s. The 1920s capitalism, monopoly capitalism, you know, Henry Ford and you know, Ed Thomas Edison and all, had nothing to do with 19th century competitive capitalism. So capitalism has changed many times. But so why am I saying that this is not capitalism? Why can't we call it rentier capitalism mm -hmm. or, you know, hypercapitalism or supercapitalism or something? Yeah, yeah. Because all capitalisms up until now had two planks, two pylons. Yeah. One was profit. It was the fuel of capitalism, all sorts of capitalism. You know, the Gilded Age, Bretton Woods, sure, sure. financialization. It's, it's the one number Profit that... is, you know, capital accumulation, as we Marxists say, but profit is what makes the world go around. And the second plank, the second pile, is the market. Before capitalism, most of economic activity, here in Ireland, in Greece, in the United Kingdom, everywhere, was not channeled through markets. So peasants worked. The sheriff came and collected part of the harvest on behalf of the landlord. That wasn't the market. That was just pure extraction, right? Yeah. The peasant was not working for a wage. There was no... The peasant could not quit. <laughs> uh, land was not usually for sale. Either you conquered it or you were given it or you inherited it. If you never had it, you never got it. Uh, you were a peasant. Uh, so most economic activity was outside of markets. With capitalism, everything goes through the market. 
the labor market, the real estate market, the capital market, sure. the share market, you know, the derivatives market, the futures market, everything is, that's where all economic activity, exploitation, call it what you might, might goes through. Today, especially after the bailouts, the money printing by central banks, private equity that is funded to a very large extent by central bank money. For me, what has been driving the system, and we can see there is a spasm now that we have inflation, has been central bank money, not profits. Profits are important, but profits were always important, even under feudalism. Yeah. Now the main driving force is not profit, it is central bank money. And this is where they are now, why they are you know, up in arms and they don't know what to do. Because inflation pushes yeah, them towards stopping the money printing, but if they stop the money printing, the whole thing collapses because it is driven by central bank money. And the second thing, and that's yeah, yeah. where I end, is you know, markets are being replaced. When you visit Amazon.com or any such site, you exit the market. Amazon.com is not a market. It's a fiefdom, a fief. It's owned by one man, right? Uh, yes, there are thousands of sellers and thousands of buyers, but it's not a marketplace. The marketplace, even under feudalism, was a place that was decentralized, where people met, they sold, they bought, they tracked, they bartered, they mm -hmm. exchanged. Now, everything is done through an algorithm. Now, if you and me and you, now, as if we had three laptops and we went into Amazon.com, right, and we typed something, we wouldn't get the same recommendations. We Each one would, get, would yep. be matched by some other seller. In the interest of Jeff Bezos, right? Of one man who owns the algo. Now that is nearer to feudalism, to a feudal lord that owns not a market, but a new platform which bypasses the market and does something quite remarkable. And does anybody have Alexa in your home? I'm not recommending that you do. I'm asking. Do you know the bizarre thing is... You do. We got it. Yeah, and we got it too. <laughs> and... and and the, the most terrifying thing was the fact that it took videos of what our kids were actually doing when we were out, and we turned it off. The last thing as a parent, you don't want to know what your kids are doing. It's their, it's their yeah. world. But you know, seriously, that's their life. They're going to make their mistakes, yada, yada, yada. And it was a bit horrifying. So it was, no, but go on, explain to me. So Alexa, uh, uh, so that, that thing is still in our kitchen. It's turned off, but what does it do? This is what you tell me. Well... I'll tell you, but before that, I need to share a personal story as well go, from go. Alexa. I got Alexa because I was re researching. This is my excuse. I was oh, yeah, researching yeah, yeah. my book on yeah. techno yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, I also yeah, got yeah. a Google Assistant yeah, 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 to compare yeah. and contrast, to do a comparative test, right? So I have the Google Assistant on my desk, and I had the Alexa on a coffee table nearby, not far, in our living room. And as I was... at I just had a little break, and I asked Google Assistant, I just wanted to try it out, to see how competitive the two of them are. So I said to, uh, I said, uh, Google, what do you think of Alexa? <laughs> <laughs> and well, you, know, you know what it said? It said, oh, I like her, especially her blue lights. Alexa has a blue light. We assistants must show solidarity to one another. And I thought, fuck, <laughs> wait, that's not the end of it. Alexa heard that and said, thank you. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm not making it up. I'm not making it up. All right, close the bracket. Now, what is Alexa doing? Well, it's supposed to be your servant. 
you say, you know, order milk, switch on the lights, uh, you know, um, start my car if you've got a Tesla. Eh? I don't. I have a motorcycle. We know. hardly starts <laughs> when I push the button. Um, and so it, it serves you, right? Uh, it gives you recommendations. Some of them are very good. I mean, it is eerie mm-hmm. how well it reads me. It knows you. It knows me. It's scary. But in the end, in the end, in reality, what it is, it is just a node of a cloud-based system, which is the most dialectical on infinite regresses. Anybody who studied philosophy will remember the infinite regress in Hegel. No, 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 no. Explain that to I will explain this, it this, by this, giving this the example of, of Alexa and, yeah. and, 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 and the Amazon I love it. Alexa cloud. and Hegel, where would you get it? What it does is this. <laughs> Alexa trains you to train it to know what you want so that then, by giving you good recommendations, it can train you to buy the things that Jeff Bezos is selling you. This, I train you to train me, to train me here. This is the infinite regress. And if you add to that the fact that Amazon not only trains you to train you, to train you, to train it, to tell you what you want to buy, but actually sells it to you as well, (laughs) bypassing the marketplace. It creates three types of exploited people. You are the customer whose consumer sovereignty has been shot to pieces because suddenly, you know, you think that you want something, but it, this, this want has been implanted in you. Advertising has always done that, yeah. except that this time there is no human being. There's no Don Draper for anyone who has watched. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don Draper has, is an algo now that belongs to Jeff Bezos. And it is totally interacting with you. Part of your soul is in that digital Don Draper. Simultaneously, okay, so you are the one exploited party. The capitalist who produced the gadget that you buy is also now a vassal capitalist Mm -hmm. because he doesn't have, or she, the capitalist, does not have direct access to you through a marketplace. In order to get to you, the capitalist has to gain access through Jeff Bezos' algorithm that holds 30% of a levy, like feudal lords used to, Mm -hmm. to allow somebody to come to the a state to the thief. That's feudalism, folks. Right? That's not, there's no capitalism here. There's no market here. And finally, every time we search Amazon or Google or Facebook or whatever, we leave our footprint in terms of our likes and dislikes that adds to the algos capital stock. Mm-hmm. Every time we post a review for a book or for music or for a product, we just put a few stars, we add to the capital stock. That has never happened before under capitalism. The only way capitalists could have their capital grow was by paying a wage to a proletarian who would produce surplus value, out of which part of that would be, would be capital his, accumulation. Yeah, yeah. Now, we all produce, I call us cloud serfs, because we are serfs, we don't even know that. You know, you just walk around Kilkenny and you, with your Google Maps, switched on, Google's capital stock increases because Google can sell to others the fact that they know where the congestion is. So we have the cloud serfs, we have the vassal capitalists, and we have cloud proles or cloud proletarians. Well, in the warehouses of uh, Amazon.com, right, where people actually work in the traditional proletarian sense, you see people, a digitized version of Charlie Chaplin in modern times. Mm-hmm. So each one of them has a little gadget on them. 
it tells them where to go. It knows how fast they've gone to you know, pick and pack yeah. and, and, and deliver boxes. Okay? So they are driven by an algo, the same algo that makes you train it to train you to buy the stuff. Now, this is my idea of techno-feudalism. Wow. Now, is there, so, what, what dystopia does that produce? How many? Well, it's a dystopia whether you're a left-winger or a right-winger. Because, you see, um, once upon a time, when we were growing up, when we, uh, we were young men, mm-hmm. once, you know, uh, <laughs> I remember the, the big clash was between the individualists, yeah. the liberals, libertarians, free marketeers, the, the people who were in favor of capitalism because capitalism was a system for them, from their perspective, like me. that enhanced individual agency, <laughs> consumer sovereignty, the marketplace was a machine that combined our talents through competition and squeezed prices, maximized quantities, and allowed each one of us to live our dream. This wasn't my ideology no, as a left wing, as a Marxist, but that's, there, that's gone now. Because the whole point was that the market was a machine that served your autonomous interests, interests that were your own. You were the liberal individual to the extent that you were the owner and the author of your preferences, of your desires, of your aspirations. Now, if you've got Alexa in there, which is telling you or training you to train it, to train you, to train it, to train you to want what Bezos wants to sell you, and if, even as a producer, you have to go through this feudal lord, essentially, then even the right-wing, conservative, pro-capitalist arguments in favor of the market have gone, gone. So, so uh, and think of young people, right? Yeah, no, because, no, I mean, no. I, before politics, I was a professor, and I, I, I had a lot of interaction with young people in universities in, in Britain, in Australia, in Greece, in the United States, and so on. And what I have observed over the last 20 years is the loss of autonomy, of an autonomous developmental process within young people. It used to be the case, was it not, that we thought, okay, we have an eight-hour Mm-hmm. working day, mm-hmm. uh, during which we sell our labor to an employer, and then the rest of the time is our own. And there was always this distinction between leisure and work. Sure. We were not our job. Our yeah. job was there. If we were lucky, we did a job that we liked. But nevertheless, there was a distinction, a very clear yeah, demarcation. So there was the between, weekend is the great idea. Yeah, there was the, the weekend. weekend. Leisure. But you yeah? go out and, yeah, you close Eight the hours of work, eight hours of rest, eight hours of yeah, yeah. education and development, we used to say, right? But now, what I observe with social media is, youngsters, for instance, are constantly anxious to create a persona that will allow them to sell themselves to an employer. And that's 24-7. It's not... Or to sell themselves to each other. Yeah, to each other, but also to... Because now, let's face it, when you go to an interview, when you're invited to an interview now, the interviewee has already checked your Instagram, your TikTok, your Facebook... Your yeah. Twitter, they know everything about you. They, they have, they've already, com- they, and they have algos that compile a summary of who you are on the basis of your social media. And then something that started in a very well-meaning way. I remember, you know, Google, for instance. They were quite good about this. I think they meant well. They were saying to prospective employees and fresh employees, you know, we want you to not forget what your dreams are, to, to find your authentic self, not, not, not to model yourself to what you think 
-hmm. we want you to be like. We want you to be authentic. Now, after a while, that becomes a tyrannical quest for authenticity. In order to sell yourself to Google, you have to try to be authentic. It's like, it's like telling you, be spontaneous. <laughs> it is stupid. <laughs> if I tell you to be spontaneous, I'm telling you that I am stupid, or that I think you are stupid, or we lose spontaneity. So be authentic. Yeah. And you, know, you have young men and women. I saw them in universities, yeah. all over the place, wondering, how can I be authentic? How can I discover my true self? They start reading <laughs> self-help books and they're going you know, to, to seminars and they, they, they constantly look for authenticity. And th that is a sure way of not getting it. It's like spontaneity. If you try to be spontaneous, you'll never be spontaneous. So in the end, you've got complete slavery. I'm a very strange Marxist because I'm a Marxist you because, are I, a very strange because Marxist. I'm a liberal. <laughs> because I think that under capitalism, the, the individual is not really free. So let's keep the idea of techno-feudalism of the impact of technology and the very basic things that it threatens, like the state, mm. like the commons, like the sense of national identity or coherence. Or, let's, let's progress this idea to where it goes. You know, we're, we're involved in, we have a war in Ukraine, right? We have the United States and China on a collision course. We have, we have big stuff going on yep. outside. What does your techno-feudalism do to the world we know? It makes it far less safe and uncertain, and therefore more <coughs> war-prone. General Motors, General Electric, Boeing, yeah, big ones, Volkswagen, yep. about 80% of their revenues goes to wages. Yeah. Amazon? 2%. It's 2%. Wow. Facebook, 1%. Which means that the money is not being spread around. Which means that, yes, you've got very wealthy financiers and corporates and so on. Sure. Together with austerity, permanent austerity for the many, you end up with very low spending power on behalf of the multitudes. Of the citizen, yeah which means you end up with very little investment in the things society needs, like green energy. Why do you think that Europe is completely in the pockets of Gazprom has been? You know, we've been totally uh, dependent on Putin because Germany, Greece, Ireland, we have not been investing in energy over the last 30 years. And we relied on the cheapest, most destructive to the planet energy form. Now, as the wealth is concentrated due to techno-feudalism, Exponentially. 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 The tiny Exponentially. People, you're talking to... Then, the, 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 then the capacity of this system, this is not a moral criticism or even a political criticism, it's just a factual macroeconomic point, which you understand very well, that aggregate demand is shrinking, and therefore investment is shrinking. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, it's either the central bank printing money to create you know, the, the money that works like cortisone to a cancer patient, you know, props him up or her up, but doesn't cure anything, and then you've got inflationary bouts like we have now, and then they freak out. They don't know how to do, what to do about it. And, and, and whenever you've got a system like capitalism or technophilism, call it what you might, creating all these crises, two things happen. The first thing is politics. Democracies get poisoned, and you have the Trumps, the Le Pens, the, the Farages, the, uh, the Melonis, yep. the Orbans. You know, the, the list is growing you know, every day. On the one hand, you have that. And on the other hand, you have a wonderful terrain on which different kinds of cold and hot wars can develop because 
they create demand. For real they stuff. They create, create demand for real stuff, like, you know, rockets and tanks and cannons. That's how the world got out of the depression, the Great Depression, in, in the mid-war period. The, 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 the and if you look war. at it now, I mean, the, the United States economy is, is getting a major boost from the war in Ukraine. Putin is getting richer every day. He has the greatest surplus, counter-account surplus, in the history of post-Soviet Russia because imports have collapsed due to sanctions. sanctions. Yeah. His sales of, of energy have shrunk, but the price has shot up so much that the total revenues that he, he gets, he and his regime get, is bigger, 250 billion. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's talk about Europe. Yeah. The, you know, you and I, I, well, I, I witnessed the launch of DM, the political party in Berlin some years back. You've always felt that Europe needs a pan-left movement. Mm -hmm. You've always felt that the interests of European workers in general mm -hmm. are much more uni unifying than national divisions. In terms of, do you, do you still maintain that? Because I it was a very exciting time very in Berlin. Hard. It's extremely it's hard exciting. to do, but it has to be done. The, 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 the only alternative to having um, transnational progressive politics is what we have now. And what we have now is a guaranteed process of disintegration. The European Union is disintegrating. I mean, it will not, there will not be another Brexit because we saw what happened with that. But there doesn't need to be another Brexit for the European Union gradually to disintegrate in practice, if not in form. Already you have Orban in Hungary, the Polish government, using what they like, the bits they like about the European Union, the single market, selling, mm -hmm. getting some money from the common agricultural policy and so on. Huh? But they are disregarding everything else about the European Union. Olaf Scholz, the other day, after having vetoed a pan-European energy solution, energy union, launched a 200 billion euro program for essentially 
tilting the playing field in favor of German companies in the field of energy. So he violated the principle of the single market. The single market is gone, finished. Everybody does whatever they want now. You know, there's state aid here, state aid there. Um, the European Central Bank is looking after the interests of the, uh, the, the banks that are making super normal profits now due to interest rate hikes. Spain tries to introduce a windfall tax on, uh, on banks. Uh, does so by stealth. Greece doesn't, Germany doesn't. But I mean, in, in terms of what is now the alternative to what may be a flawed but pretty globally and internally benign arrangement, and it's an arrangement. Well, because there is no alternative to saving this Euro European Union from itself, this is why I've been campaigning, as you know, since yeah. we met, yeah. um, against things like Brexit, Grexit even though I am one of the most severe critics of the European Union. But, you know, it's like your, your family. <laughs> okay, they suck. <laughs> you criticize the shit out of them. But you don't ask for their dissolution or turn against well, you them. You can't. <laughs> okay, so, say, okay, the family is, is, is too close for comfort as an analogy. But your own state. Yeah. I mean, I spent all my life demonstrating against Greek governments. It's not because I'm not a patriot. It's because I'm a patriot that I de demonstrate against Greek governments. Similarly, I'm a Europeanist, which means I need to struggle against those who control the European Union institutions and make such a mess of it. One of, one of the central pillars in, in, in your analysis is the role of central banks yeah. in pushing the money. Profit as a signal disappears because the mm. money is coming yeah. for free, essentially. So therefore, the central bankers, kind of God forbid, are an essential element to where we go next. Yes, they are. They, they've been an essential element to where we, we have been tra that, you know, along the path that we've been following over the years. Let's face it, if it wasn't for Mario Draghi printing all this money, there would be no euro now. That's true. It wasn't done to our governments. Our governments were just observers. So they funded these zombies, the techno-feudal lords. Um, the whole edifice is founded on the central bank money, which now has to be reduced in size in order to arrest the increasing inflation, which was caused by the supply chain disruption. And then turbocharged by the, the, by war, the, the war yeah. in Ukraine. Now, there's, to put it in mathematical terms, if I'm allowed, there exists no number that the interest rate could be equal to such that inflation is tamed without destroying this whole edifice. Okay. This is an impossibility theorem. So this is, okay? this is a cul-de-sac, really. So it's not a question of that there is a, the, the right interest rate and it's a question of finding it. There is no such thing as the right inter, interest rate. Every interest rate is wrong. Either it's too much or too little, simultaneously. This is my, my, my analysis. So the crisis that started with list trust was going to start somewhere in the system. The reason why it became so big, you know Over that, there. In, over in the UK. Yeah, over there. Almost over here. No, Next I, door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giannis, you well, are, I come from Athens. You were fucking cruising until you mentioned that. I was, I was almost down on one knee. You were cruising. You're fucked now. I fucked up. So, the reason why it was so big 
was because already the bond market in the United States was in turmoil. Okay. Already the U.S. Treasury market was spiking up. Volatility had hit uh, record levels. And the Fed, as well as the IMF, were very worried about what was going on in the United States. It was at that moment when Liz Trust, in her infinite wisdom, <laughs> decided to... Well, you see, what happened was this, to take it a bit further back. Before Boris Johnson was jettisoned... Another genius. Before he was yeah, jettisoned, Sunak was his chancellor, remember? Yeah. And Sunak wanted to slap down austerity onto the British economy um, because he could, he could see that th there was an inflationary bout coming. Johnson, being politically astute, far more so than any of the other idiots, um, said, no, no austerity. This is an austerity-averse nation. After George Osborne, we will lose elections, I will lose the Red Wall, and so on. He was right about that. Uh, and Sunak was constrained and restrained, but then Partygate got rid of Johnson, and Sunak was riding high within the Parliamentary Conservative Party. The only way Liz Truss could win could beat sure. Rishi Sunak, was to appeal to the basest instincts of the most inane conservatives, the rank and file, right? And the rank and file of the Conservative Party have never seen a war they didn't like or a tax True. cut to the rich that they d disliked. So she appealed to them by saying, tax cuts, tax cuts, you know, the old Thatcherite thing, but forgetting that Thatcher first slapped down austerity and then redistributed the wealth from the impoverished to the rich. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so she got the, the cart before the horses, Liz Truss. But she had to do it to beat Rishi Sunak. So the, the, the price for beating Rishi Sunak was that she created a financial crisis that would beat her. That's my understanding. That's exactly, yeah. And Rishi Sunak is back. More austerian than ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? The, the most austere. And he's going to damage Britain in the most spectacular way. I think you're by right. By doing the exact opposite error of what Liz Truss was doing. No, so I... she went into excessive largesse to the rich, and she's now going into excessive austerity. So, you know, they have this amazing capacity always to err hugely but simply to disagree with one another on whether to fuck up this way or that way. Before we go, Yanis, okay, yeah. let's just try and put some conclusions. So we have techno-feudalism, which I find a fascinating idea, and I, kind of, I think a lot of us are trying to get our heads around it and trying to find the language, but also the framework to try and make some sense of mm. this, this world that we're in. Uh, you have the atrophy of old pillars, okay, national pillars, etc. Okay, then you have these various, as you'd say, rather untalented or less than talented punters at the top. When you look out from Greece, when you're thinking about the world, you know, if you were to see four or five years hence, is it good or bad? Oh, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> you know why? It's a, it's an ideological. A rejection of the question, uh, because look, I let, love let, the left. Let, let, of course, it was just a good or bad fucking question. No, no, but let me explain why. Let me explain why, uh, and why is it an ideological denial of service? Okay. 
Okay. <laughs> because if you were to put a gun at my head and said, predict. No, I don't mean predict. No, well, pre yeah, that's what you said. You know, what do you think is going to happen in five years' time? Good that's or bad? It's okay yeah. if it's a well, broad that's prediction. Predict. That's predict. Okay? I'm refusing to predict because my prediction will be so gloomy, everybody's going to live here, including myself, <laughs> in a suicidal state. Right? But so, so let's leave is, a later. But there is good news. There is good news that we should not indulge in predictions. And let me explain that. If you are a meteorologist, your job is to predict. That's what your job is, to predict the bloody weather, right? Because the weather doesn't give a damn about your predictions about the weather. <laughs> so you are a good scientist if your predictions are accurate. And you're a bad scientist if you are, you know, you remember Michael Fish? Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Don't worry, it's not coming, it's only a bit of wind. <laughs> uh, okay. But when it comes to predicting social phenomena, economic phenomena, you are predicting what? What we are going to do. But given that our predictions feed into our emotions and therefore into our actions, okay, this is an infinite regress. So we have a duty not to predict and do that which is right. Ladies and gentlemen, Yanis Varoufakis! Thank you. Thank you very much.